0: Today's world is defined by social media. News isn't news if it's not on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or LinkedIn and shared via WhatsApp, SMS or Messenger. Social media connects more people than any other medium and provides businesses with truly remarkable opportunities to spread their brand message and reach vast audiences. At the same time, it presents a significant reputational threat. This is The Healthy Business Show. I'm your host, Fred Rode, and in this episode, I'm asking Emma Sadler, who's confidently Africa's foremost and best-known social media lawyer, to speak specifically to the risk that social media presents to us as individuals, as well as to our businesses. Emma, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here.
0: I know that you have a very illustrious and successful career as a lawyer and now it appears over the past couple of years you've really specialized in this area of social media and, and in particular reputation, protection, reputation, management, uh, being proactive and, and reactive within the sector of social media. How did that evolution really happen?
1: Yeah, well, it was almost by accident. So I started out my career at a big law firm. I was at Weber Wenzel for about five years. And I was in the media law department, which meant that my clients were journalists. You know, it was in media law. It was all about what you can publish, what you can't publish. It was a lot of educational work. So before we let the journalists loose on the front page of the newspaper, they had to sit through days of training with people like me, learning what are the limits to freedom of expression? What are we allowed to say? And what are we not allowed to say? And then, of course, when they got into trouble or if there was any kind of pre-publication interdict threat or anything, then we would be involved. And it was a fascinating job, and I loved it. And then I went and I did a master's in London. I did a master's at the London School of Economics. And, Fred, it was just as everything was turning from traditional media to social media. And it was a very academically indulgent year because, you know, when you're in practice at a big law firm, you are working. You know, (laughs) you're billing your hours, and there isn't that much time to really just spend – getting on top of a new field.
0: To so hang out in social media.
1: <laughs> hang out on social media and just read articles and read about what's going on. And it was, it was just so lucky because I was in London, which was really where it was all happening. You know, there was the, um, the Twitter joke trial. There was uh, a lot of work around tweeting the courts. There was a lot of, suddenly a lot of, uh, what they call in England libel, what we call just generally here defamation libel cases emanating from Facebook, from Twitter. Um, and it was just a very, very interesting It's probably
0: quite a confusing time as well for the law in the legal industry, right? I think it
1: was confusing because people thought new laws should apply. And the bottom line is that it was seven, eight years ago. And yeah, it was, it was just as everyone was kind of jumping on Twitter and everyone suddenly had a voice. And you know, I think that we've just got to start off today by saying that every person with an internet connection now has instant access to an international public permanent platform. And when you said it was confusing for the lawyers, um, I think it was more confusing for the general public because the lawyers knew that as soon as content's been seen by one other person then we just treat it in exactly the same way as we've treated all other public platforms. Okay. Uh, so exactly the same as if it was published in the newspaper or on radio or on television. But there is just something about social media, particularly I think at the moment WhatsApp groups, that makes it feel like you're sitting around with your mates having a glass of wine and a chat. Sure. <laughs> and then people get lulled into this false sense of security so of, of comfort, thinking that they can say things that they wouldn't put on a billboard or they wouldn't put on the front page of the newspaper. But actually the same laws apply. So when I came back, I was a little Bit ahead of my peers in terms of this new field and I went back to Weber's for a bit and then I decided that I wanted to go on my own specializing just in social media and that was amazingly six years ago and when I started out I thought it was going to look a lot more like a legal consultancy look I do do that kind of work but more and more frequently my life is less as a lawyer and more as a reputation manager and psychologist because sure, I can you know imagine. often the law is just too slow you know when you come to me and you've got some big drama and Folding on Facebook For me to say to you Oh well you should sue For defamation And let's go off to court And then 40,000 Rand In three years time Is not going to make Anything feel better So what we really need to do Is make sure that content Is deleted now That it's corrected Retracted Apologies if necessary So it's much more About reputation management And I think the biggest risks posed to corporate South Africa in this digital age is the reputational risk posed by every single one of your employees, particularly those employees who are overtly associated to the company. So whether that's via a LinkedIn account or whether they have become quite famous within the company, um, you know, people whose names are synonymous with the company, more senior managers, or if people just know where you work, Hmm. then there is huge reputational risk for the company. So a lot of the work that I do now is educational. I go around the country and I speak at companies. And I speak at schools and I speak at universities about how not to mess up on social media. Well, not just social media, just in the digital world. Yeah. You know, it can be how you're behaving after you've had five double brandy and cokes at the rugby and somebody <laughs> films you and puts it online and says, look at this ex-company employee. You know, that has the potential yeah. now to really hurt the reputation of the company. So it's a lot of educational work. It's a lot of staying on top of the new developments, especially with the children. You know, the kids are clever. And just as we get to grips with uh, Snapchat, they've left Snapchat, they on TikTok, and as we get to, you know what I mean. Sure. <laughs> well, we finally worked out what the issues are with Fortnite, and they're off Fortnite, and they're on something else. So it's a lot of staying on top of the new platforms, the new apps, the new games, and and educating people. And you know, I often call the company that I run now, um you know, the first responders <laughs> when things go wrong. If you're defamed, or if you've sent naked pictures and they've landed up online, or a sex tape that's landed up on Pornhub, or your sure. child is being cyber bullied, you know, people. And these are us. real.
0: Sorry. I'm I mean, you're not just making the stuff up. This is real stuff that's going on that you've yeah. seen and dealt with. Yeah, your- so we
1: are inundated. We probably get 10 new inquiries a day. What? Um, wow. From all sorts of people a day. Yeah, some days it's it's much more than that. Um, and it's a range of things. You know, we do, we do specialize in defamation and privacy. But it's people phoning and being absolutely hysterical. And what can we do? What can we do? Okay. My daughter's being so cyberbullied. So hence the psychology you know. side of it. Yeah. yeah, and often we do have to refer to psychologists. But often, you know, we need to contain the situation. Rather than inflame it, um, sure. often we need to make sure that content is deleted from the internet as far as possible. Obviously, with digital content, it's very difficult. Prevention is obviously better than cure, and it's a great career. You know, it's a nice combination it of stimulating, stimulating, be- but also having that feel good stuff. You know, we don't ever charge victims of revenge pornography. That's a company policy, and so it does feel good to be able to help people who are in crisis.
0: Is that? prevalence that kind of stuff the revenge pornography so it's it's a real threat i mean we're not just talking anecdotally yeah and here. actually
1: we shouldn't even be calling it revenge pornography we should be calling it image based violence and it's any time that somebody sure. circulates your private intimate sexual content it doesn't even have to be sexual uh sometimes you know it's like fat shaming somebody takes a picture of you naked in the gym and they send it around like that playboy bunny who was uh, sentenced in los angeles a little while ago because she took a picture of a fat woman who was changing in the gym and said, if I can't unsee this, you can't either. Mm. Um, so it's not always revenge. So we we talk about revenge pornography. That's the sort of colloquial term. But sometimes it's humor. Sometimes it's um, shaming. Sometimes, you know, sometimes it's it's indirect reference. You know, sometimes what I'll see at schools is a picture of some genitals going around on a WhatsApp group and saying, this is this girl. But it's not that girl at all, you know, and it's – it's it's so so we've got some laws in the works. We're always working to try and bring out new laws to try and um, combat the kind of content we're seeing. The other huge thing we've got at the moment, Fred, is a sextortion ring operating in South Africa where uh, there is this crowd who meets you online and pretend to be a very beautiful man or a woman and then they start this online relationship with you what? and they solicit naked pictures out of you um, and as soon as they've got them – and they've got patience. I mean, sometimes you speak to them all day day for four months you feel like they're your best friend or your lover and then they turn around and say send me five thousand rand to my e-wallet or i'm going to send this to your wife or your 12 year old child no, who i'm following man. on instagram or your boss and people panic and pay and um you know that's we get i can't even tell horrific. you how many cases we get at least one a day of I, I
0: must admit i'm quite surprised this seems like a whole underbelly of society that that i think many of us are not that aware of
1: Yeah so I think that I think that one of the problems Is to think of it As an underbelly Because this is So mainstream now You know with the kids I would say so I guess thing that's part become, of your work yeah. Right
0: To make it more yeah. in the public eye So
1: sexting has become a social norm With teenagers in South Africa I think it's uh, it's just It happens right and, and my hands are tied a little bit I would love to give more practical advice To the children um, about sexting Rather than just say don't do it But at the moment I've got to say Just don't do it Because it's a criminal offence um, Everything to do with underage sexting Is dealt with as child pornography Creation of child pornography Distribution of child pornography Solicitation of child pornography If you ask a girl under the age of 18 For a nude It's solicitation of child pornography It's a criminal offence Possession of child pornography So there is this you know Big stick that we have to say to the children You can't take these pictures What I'd much rather do is to say uh, What I say to the adults that I speak to And that is more practical advice Because we have this big victim shaming culture And I think that people should be allowed to sext each other You know it's a dangerous activity And digital content is dangerous content So my advice these days Fred is Make sure your face and your genitals are not in the same photograph That's rule number one (laughs) So this is
0: the kind of advice that's it's, it's on the borderline, I guess, of the the advice that you're allowed to give, right? Yes, yeah, so
1: I don't give this advice to children. Okay. Um, this is the advice that I give now. And I speak to corporates about it because it's become a big adult issue as well. It's not yeah. just children who are involved in this kind of content. We saw um, Malusi Gigaba last year, for example, for sure, with a very high profile. Uh, well, internationally, I mean, you
0: see all the hacks going into yeah. – You know, celebrities like Jennifer Lawrence and so on, they're being exposed and they're having to defend themselves in public.
1: Yeah, the Jennifer Lawrence one was for me one of the most affecting because she took those pictures years ago. She didn't send them to anybody. She deleted them. She didn't realize they were automatically backing up to her iCloud. And then years later, her iCloud got hacked. And it's one of the examples I talk about in my talks to schools and to corporates about how dangerous digital content is. Because when something is digital, it's out of your control. I used to go around giving these talks about how if you wouldn't put it on a billboard, don't say it on social media. Mm. Now I say... If you wouldn't put it on a billboard, don't let it exist in digital format. We've got to treat all digital content because, as vulnerable content. Yeah, because because it's phones hackable, do get lost. Sure. Phones get stolen. Accounts get hacked.
0: Cyber breaches. People are take screenshots. Happening every I send day. you a
1: message and you forward it to a hundred more people. You take a photograph of me, which you promise you're never going to send to anybody. But once it's out there, it's out there. And Jennifer Lawrence is a perfect example because, uh, they found the hacker. He's sitting in prison in America, but those photos are everywhere.
0: So was he convicted of? He was convicted okay, of the gotcha. yeah.
1: But the problem is that those photos are out there. It's the tattoo effect of the internet. It's trying to get stuff deleted from the internet. Can yeah, be-
0: your digital footprint is always there, right? Yeah. I used to run a digital agency, right? And we used to do the, the reputation management of a number of different firms. And I have my own nightmare stories of that where some of my team members mm-hmm. were using social media clients to be able to use multiple profiles and to obviously use their own account and to publish whatever they wanted to publish. And we had a particular account with a big name brand where one of our social media junior staffers posted a you know vociferous attack on a major brand on the back of an incident that happened. And it turned out that he had mistakenly done it on a major brand's account. And before he could delete the tweet, it was retweeted a number of times and the damage was done. It was it was heavy. It was a big situation for us. And I I know from a brand reputation perspective, you know, you've spoken a lot about the personal stuff. And there's, you know, there's horror stories like Justine Sacco and people just saying silly things. But what about from a business perspective? And what are the risks? And maybe, you know, share some of the, the stories that you've undoubtedly come across.
1: From a business point of view, we're starting to see a lot more awareness. You know, we used to see that problem a lot where somebody had dual access and they accidentally tweeted from the wrong account. There was a famous case of a politician. Well, actually, he was the spokesperson to a politician in Washington, in Capitol Hill, and he tweeted accidentally from his professional account, his spokesperson account, instead of his personal account. It was something stupid. He said, me likey broke girls. You know that stupid sitcom, <laughs> to broke girls, but he sent oh, it from no. this politician's account and he deleted it within 14 seconds. That was how quick it was that he realized… But it was probably um,
0: retweeted. And
1: once it's out there, it's out there. Somebody takes a screenshot, and he was fired. And so it can just show you 14 seconds. And so we can't be careful enough, I think. And there has been the sense, I think, Fred, with the, a lot of the corporates is, oh, well, we don't get it. Like, we're old. We don't understand the space. Let's outsource to the youngsters. And then you've got some, like, youngster in a back room somewhere who suddenly got access to this huge account, Um because they understand social media. And as we all know, the most controversial content gets the most traction. So sure. they think that's quite cool. And that's a problem. So I'm a big fan of a social media policy. I actually think a social media policy is not negotiable in a corporate context in South Africa. And I'm a big fan of two policies. So one would apply to the average employee at the company. Um, that would be all the usual stuff. Don't bring the company into disrepute. Don't bite the hand that feeds you. Don't breach confidentiality. Um, you know, remember the company's values and policies. Remember that you're an employee of this company 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There's no such thing as personal capacity, and we'll get more into that. But the other policy I'm a big fan is anybody who has access to the official accounts. Now, those can be internal employees if you run the, those platforms in-house, or they can be external. They can be agencies or, or maybe, you know, a freelancer who you get to run your account. And that is really just a much stricter policy. Ideally, I like content plans, um, and procedures in place where the companies, where the the companies sign off on it. And it's such a good point that you make because if you get it wrong, that one tweet is going to get so much more traction and airtime than an advert you pay for on the front page of the sunday times Mm. you know Mm. so it's really not worth getting it wrong
0: for sure i mean i remember back then that was back in 2011 when twitter was not a huge big deal in south africa i mean it was still growing rapidly but within like you say within seconds people had retweeted it it took us three days to go down the rabbit hole and apologize to everybody and and make it right and nowadays that must be amplified Exponentially,
1: Absolutely. But I I am seeing those kinds of errors in corporate South Africa happening less frequently and more frequently people messing up in what they think is their personal capacity and that having huge knock-on effects for the company. And, you know, I think that the new locus classicus in this is Adam Katzavolis. You know, there was – I think that there was a social media world of reputation management before Adam Katzavolis, and then there's afterwards. And I got a call from Adam Katzavallis before he was a household name saying I've – sent a video uh, to a WhatsApp group. It's a very small WhatsApp group. He believes the video has been stolen and it's being circulated. So, I presumed it was a sex tape, right? Because that's my life. (laughs) Sex tapes and dick pics. This is what I do all day, every day. So, I presume it's um, a private video. Sure. And he said, no, no, it's got racial undertones. So, I kind of got my back up. I said, send it to me. Let me have a look at it. He sent it to me and I replied, I can't help you. He said, there must be something that we can do to prevent this ever from hitting social media. You know, there must be something we can do to load this content on the back end, make sure that this isn't going to go viral because this is going to have a huge knock-on effect, not just for me, but for my family. I've got children, you know, my family business, all this stuff. I just you know, had to say to him the mantra which I teach to eight-year-old children. Digital content is dangerous content. <laughs> when mm-hmm. something's digital, it's out of your control. And I said to him, what you must do is go and delete all his social media accounts, particularly any pictures of his children, because what we've seen time and again is that the digital vigilante mob in South Africa yeah, will get any content they can to – and sometimes it's humor and sometimes it's – I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of um, when Margaret van Weyck – And I only mention her name because she consented to being named, um, in the aftermath of her, of her horrible ordeal where she was really a, a victim of a sexual offense, I think, where she sent a picture of her genitals to the Hokios of Schwarzenegger WhatsApp group. What we saw in that case was immediately people going onto her Facebook profile, searching her name, uh, finding pictures of her, and then more importantly, finding pictures of her children. Um, I remember a picture, a meme going around of her three teenage daughters with the caption, everybody's seen your master. right? And that was being circulated and then you get children being dragged into it. So I said to him, delete all your accounts, make sure that people don't have access particularly to pictures of your children because images are powerful things. And then the next day it did hit. And it was extraordinary and I think what we saw in that case, Fred, was that the, the The social pressure exerted by the, what I call digital vigilante mob, but I don't use the word vigilante necessarily negatively. You know, I think that there's a great service provided, um, by this social pressure that we put on each other, you know, naming and shaming, um, and outing each other, the sort of self-regulation that goes on. And, I think that what we learned in that case is that that social pressure is much more powerful than any legal or disciplinary consequence could be. Yeah. You know, He hasn't come back from Greece. His children haven't come back from Greece. Yeah. They can't. Their life is untenable in South Africa for them. But first thing we saw was this video going viral. People saying, who is this guy? Who is this guy? Then people identifying him, then getting his personal information, taking his ID number, putting it into Sipsi, finding every single company he was yeah. associated with. Then going to those companies and finding every company that had ever done business with any of those companies. And really, we saw everybody from Brazza, The Baron, Ribzone, who'd bought Source from the Katsavalis company, releasing statements saying, we will never do business with that company again. Mm. We saw the smokehouse and grill, even though the family business acted quickly and fired Adam Katsavolis, we saw the smokehouse and grill being forced to close and 46 people losing their jobs. You know, this was this – The knock-on was effect of one person's idiocy. Um, also, the personal impact, I mean, on his family. We saw his wife who worked for Nike. Every Nike store in the whole of South Africa closing for a day – Um Because of the association And then St. John's College Where his son was at school Releasing a statement saying In the middle of the school holidays It wasn't necessary It wasn't like the guy Was going to turn up at the school The next day to drop off his kid Saying that father is not allowed To step foot on the school's premises again And actually the interesting thing for me Was the extent to which it affected From a disciplinary point of view And from a reputation point of view His wife's company Now it's obvious to me That all companies associated directly With the baddie in that case Would suffer a reputational harm But I actually saw a policy from a big corporate the other day, and in the scope, you know, the scope of these corporate policies, it's like this is who it applies to, and these are the employees and the independent contractors. It had another clause that said it applies to all the direct beneficiaries, spouses, children – of any employees. And I just thought that's a little – that's a step too far. Yeah. You know, I've seen it. There was a, an Apple engineer a couple of years ago who was given a new iPhone to take home for the weekend. And it hadn't been launched yet. That's and, you right. Know, I, Apple makes this big song and dance about launching their iPhones. And he took it home and he gave it to his 15-year-old daughter to play with. And she made a YouTube video showing the whole world all the features of this new yeah. iPhone. And he was fired. There, that makes sense because there's really like a, yeah. a, a nexus of control. That's a business um, he was responsible for, sure. for it. But to say that she's responsible, Adam Katsavalas' wife, um, I suppose the thing with racism is that it's something that can really be imputed to the home. You know, somebody who's capable of speaking like that, that was not the first time. But again,
0: I suppose it speaks to the pervasiveness and the power of social media, how rapidly it can spread and the ramifications can suddenly impact so many different areas of one's life. And it feels almost like social media is, is, is almost like giving a loaded weapon to each and every single one of your employees and your team members and yourself, I guess, without really having any formal training for how to use it responsibly the personal side is is there is a certain element of restraint and i I suppose acknowledging the the modicums of respect that you have for humanity and society and where you stand on that line but from a a corporate perspective It's maybe more difficult For people to grasp How impactive it can be
1: And I think part of the reason For that difficulty Is that it all just happens So damn quickly <laughs> You know It's so new Suddenly we've all got These devices Which are incredibly powerful And we're not getting The guidance From our bosses From the company From society About how we should be Using them most efficiently Which is I think Why we're so busy And my throat doesn't sound <laughs> As well as it should Because sure. we are just so busy Which is so awesome But I would love to Wave a man magic wand and educate the whole of South Africa in one go. But I think that part of the reason is that we're breeding a lot of digital natives, people who don't know the life other than the life that's lived online. Everything is documented. You know, where you go, who you see, what you do, what you wear, what you eat. It's like CCTV footage of your life. Our default is to oversharing and to documenting. Sure. You know? And I think we take those so-called digital natives, we put them in a corporate environment. And I think unless we're teaching confidentiality, We're asking for trouble because I don't think confidentiality is innate anymore. I'll give you an example. I had a case with a candidate attorney fresh off the boat. She took a photograph of her desk and she uploaded it onto Facebook with the status, look how much work I have to do. FML, <laughs> not to be fair. <laughs> there were piles and piles of paper on her desk because that's what candidate attorneys do. Yeah. Except on top of one of the piles of paper, you could see very clearly the names of two listed companies entering into a super confidential transaction.
0: Oh, uh, lordy lordy. I mean, it was a
1: crime scene. She was fired, obviously, law society furious, <laughs> attorney client privilege breach, <laughs> even arguably insider trading offenses, but no malice. She'd taken a picture of her lunch that day. She'd Instagram that. So I think we need to teach confidentiality. And actually the policies that I draft for companies, I try to make them as educational as possible. You know, it's got to be in layman terms. It can't be in legalese. And every time we put in a new rule, then we say, what does this actually mean for you? Like, how does this apply to you? And I think one of the biggest myths that we need to dispel is that there is no such thing as personal capacity. You know, you have these people who say, oh, I work at this X company, but I tweet in my personal capacity. Let me tell you, if the first tweet below that has got racism in it, you are going to be fired. (laughs) It doesn't matter what combination of words you've got in the bio.
0: Not only that, but there's the mob justice, as you mentioned, that vigilante group that's going to take you out. I mean, it's almost worse than the legal ramifications. Look, I mean, it's it has so many areas of impact for yourself personally. So it's just a – it's something that I guess we all need to be aware of, but it's with the sheer weight of content that's being produced every single second. It's really tough, and it's so unpredictable as well, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you're right about the mob because the the modus operandi of the digital mob is the first thing that they do when they see somebody's messed up, either on social media – Or in direct message, which has been screenshot and is being circulated, or in the real world, which somebody has filmed, because we're all celebrities and our friends are the family and colleagues (laughs) and the general public are the paparazzi. We paparazzi ourselves and we paparazzi each other, right? Big brothers watching us. When we mess up now, the likelihood somebody is filming it. The first thing that the mob is going to do is find out where does that person work? Because we as the mob have worked out that the most likely consequence of somebody messing up is uh, an employment law consequence, right? Let's get this person fired. And the result of that is what I'm calling vicarious reputational liability, which is that if you work for a company and you mess up, the first thing I'm going to do is call for a boycott of that company until disciplinary action has been taken, even if disciplinary action is taken quite quickly. The net effect is the company's reputation has still been dragged through the mud. And we see this time and time again. And it's so effective. And the effect of it is this huge reputational harm, which can't be quantified to the company. So we have these two sort of big categories of people being fired in South Africa. And the first is people who bring the company into disrepute. Now, that's a very big net. And it can apply all the time now it used to be you had to behave in a certain way when you were at the office during work hours at your desk but then when you were out at a party on a saturday night you didn't have to worry about the company's rules or bringing the company into disrepute but the truth is now we all have the potential pretty much 24 hours a day to bring a company into to distribute. We've seen
0: – Just by association.
1: Just by association. And the main link is LinkedIn. You know, And when I speak at companies, and sometimes I'll walk into a room and I'll, they'll look suspicious and they'll sort of think, oh, I don't know why I didn't need to come to this because I'm not on Facebook and I'm not on Instagram and I'm not on Twitter. But I'm pretty sure they're on a WhatsApp group. I'm pretty sure they're on a work WhatsApp group, and I'm almost certain they're on LinkedIn. And what LinkedIn does, despite people thinking of it as the most professional and the most sanitized platforms, is that it creates the association between you and the company on the front end. So I see Fred that something wrong. The first thing I'm doing is going to Google you. First result is going to be a LinkedIn account. Well, first three results, there'll be a LinkedIn account if you have one. That yeah. tells me where you work. And immediately I go and put pressure on the company in a public way to take disciplinary action and the reputation of the company has been compromised, even if they act quickly. And I think that this is such a powerful message for all corporate South Africa because we need to teach it. We need to train it. There is the sense out there that there is such a thing as personal capacity. You know what I'm saying on my rugby WhatsApp group on a weekend. There's personal capacity. Well, Adam Katsavalas sent that video to a private WhatsApp group to a few mates. You know what I mean? And it had this huge potential, uh, to, to impact all these companies.
0: So if I'm reading you right, you're saying that as powerless as it feels that we are to prevent people from doing stupid stuff on social media, we're not. There are preventative measures that we as, as business owners, as entrepreneurs can take. To avoid that kind of scenario.
1: Absolutely. And and I'm all for a two pronged attack, which is education and policies. And they, you know, the policy is not strictly necessary because the law is there. Don't bite the hand that feeds you. Don't bring the company into disrepute. But what it does, I think, is really provides guidance. You know, these are the guidelines. This is what we're saying to you. This is what it actually means for you day to day. Here are some guidelines for the work WhatsApp group. And that's not just bringing the company into disrepute, you know, for these work WhatsApp groups. A lot of people are saying to me after talks, what if I don't want to be on my work WhatsApp group anymore? It's too much. I don't need to receive emojis at midnight. This bombardment anxiety. I need the right to disconnect which is something that they've legislated in France, right, that you have the right to disconnect. When you leave the office, you can turn off your phone, not in all instances, but, but generally. And I think that we need to start really engaging in the space, know that our employees, even if they're not officially sanctioned work WhatsApp groups, are on WhatsApp groups with each other, and we need to set guidelines in place. Now, we're not saying, you know, you can't do any of this stuff. What we're saying is if you wouldn't put it on a billboard next to the company name, the company logo, and whatever it is you're about to say, don't say it. And it's afraid sometimes I get these really difficult questions at talks, you know. Uh, we're in a political uh, hotbed at the moment, you know, we're in an election year. Sure. Can I have extreme views about politics on my Facebook page? Yeah, if you'd put it on a billboard, you know. Can I have extreme views about religion, about, uh, what, about, about if you're vegan, you know. If you are a really serious vegan and you think the whole world should be vegan and you post every day on Facebook about how everyone should be vegan – That's great, provided you don't work for escort pork sausages. You know There there isn't some delineation between the personal and the professional. So the best test I've come up with is the billboard test, which is would you put a huge photograph of your face on a billboard next to your name, the name of the company you work for, the logo of the company you work for, and whatever it is you're about to say. Mm. And whether that's in a WhatsApp message, an email, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, anywhere – Would you put it on that billboard? Because if you wouldn't, then you must be very careful letting it exist in digital format because the laws are exactly the same. The disciplinary consequences are the same and the impact to your reputation and the company's reputation is actually worse because it doesn't matter how long that billboard is up there. Even if it's a few years, at some stage it gets taken down, but the internet doesn't forget.
0: That's great because I think what it does is it makes it real for people. You know, I think the biggest problem is that it doesn't feel real. It feels kind of like, you know, this little WhatsApp group in the Mm -hmm. side. Who's going to see it? And you're in this tiny little campfire that nobody's ever going to witness, but they do. And it gets out and it suddenly becomes accessible to every single person who is connected to the internet. And I think that reality only bites when the consequence hits right when that that negative consequence hits
1: yeah and we you know we talk about the consequences from a work point of view there are proper legal consequences now as well. We saw Vicky Momberg last year sentenced to three years in prison for crimininuria sure. for racism. Hmm. And a lot of people at the time were like, oh, it's freedom of speech dead. No, it's not dead. It's hmm. just not absolute, right? And there are these laws in place and we need to educate ourselves. We need to know what defamation is. When can we defame companies? When can we defame people? Well, if what you're saying is true and for the benefit of the public, I'm seeing all sorts of intrafamilial disputes landing up in court where – Somebody puts on Facebook about how their loser ex-husband is frolicking around town with his new floozy and she doesn't know what's coming for her. And then that person's suing for defamation. And the courts are saying, I'm sure it's true. I'm sure he is a loser. But there's no public interest. You know, so before you jump on this very big platform that we've all been given, we need to know what the laws are. We need to know about crimininuria. We need to know about um, when or, when content infringes somebody else's dignity, that you can have a criminal charge laid against you. We need to know that our children can have criminal charges laid against them from as young as 10 years old, which I think a lot of people have no idea about.
0: Just uh, for the layman amongst our audience, what is crimininuria? Crimininuria and is a serious
1: <laughs> infringement of dignity. Okay. If I call you a racist word or if you're gay and I use some homophobic slur against you or if I bully you, you know, I'm thinking of the Joyce Malamu bully case. Joyce Malamu put on Facebook that a Mbuli was a stupid beep, um, word beginning with B and ending in itch. Um, <laughs> and then she posted a Mbuli's cell phone number and she said, please can somebody go and find her a blesser? So she stops phoning my boyfriend asking him for money.
0: She, she had been is. phoning
1: the boyfriend asking him for money because he owed her money because of a business deal. Um, she thought better of it, deleted it once it's out there, it's out there. Uyanda Mbuli went to the Madran police station, laid charges of criminal injury, infringement of dignity and um, Joyce Malamu was prosecuted. She was sentenced to a 6,000 rand fine, uh, 350 hours of community service. She has to do an 8-week adult life skills program <laughs> okay. and she's got a criminal record uh, even though she's studying law. So, so, you know, these are very serious consequences. Very We've real got consequences. rules around hate speech. We've got rules around intellectual property. We've got rules around privacy. We've got all of these various Establish rules uh, Which now apply to all of us Because we've all become publishers
0: So we've got the mob justice We've got the legal justice You've outlined that the best way To approach this whole uh, problem Is to be preventative And to be aware And to put those policies in place And to educate your team Now Let's just say something does happen, and uh, and you you do get into trouble. One of your employees, one of your team members, with one of these loaded weapons, uh, i.e., a Twitter account or uh, a Facebook handle or whatever it may be, has has done something that really does defame you, and by association is quite deleterious to your your company's reputation. What are the measures that you can take in order to? Try and make it better.
1: So I think that there's two occasions where companies are in crisis and they phone me. The one is that they've got an employee who's messed up. The other is that they've got a disgruntled customer who started some kind of campaign against them. The management of those two reputational crises is quite similar. The first thing we need to do is to work out is harm actually being caused. If this person has tweeted and they've got three retweets and they've got 15 followers. Is it worth responding? Because sometimes by responding, we add fuel to the fire. You know, you would have heard of the Barbara Streisand effect, which is a wonderful term, which emane- it, it emanated from a case um, a few years ago where Barbara Streisand found out that there were aerial photographs of her house on the Internet, on the Californian Coastal now, Guard there website. was a nice song written
0: about it or something?
1: <laughs> I don't know about the song, but she found out that there were these photos. And she felt this was terribly infringing of her privacy, so she rushed off to court to get an urgent interdict to get those photographs removed. And at the time of launching the urgent, they could tell that a handful of people had seen the content. Barbara Streisand herself two of her lawyers and literally a couple of unidentified people. At the time of finishing the urgent interdict, 800,000 people had seen the content. Yeah. You know, we've seen it just this week with the Peter Louis Myburgh book. Um, and the more you try and get content deleted or removed, the worse it becomes. And I think the best example in the last year was the Malusi Gigaba case. Because Malusi Gigaba, there was this naked, um, there was this private video going around of Malusi Gigaba, then minister masturbating. And, at 6.52 a.m. on a Sunday morning, he tweeted, my wife and I have w- learned with regret and sadness that a video um, concerning material of a sexual nature meant for our eyes only is being circulated. Mm. And that meant that the average person at home read this tweet and thought, I want to see the video.
0: You know? So he and, was trying to be proactive, and it was but such, actually he was, he just was pouring was a big so
1: poorly tub advised. of if he had said absolutely nothing on the
0: fire.
1: 100%. If he had said absolutely nothing, we wouldn't have known about this. Really, we wouldn't. But by going out and saying something, it was literally – the video was on Pornhub with 3 million views the next day. Everybody saw it. And up until that point, I think it had been relatively contained. Cheapest. And so I think that that is just the, the best illustration recently of this Barbara Streisand effect. So the first thing that we do when a client comes to us is, well, let's discuss the practical implications of this. How much airtime is this content actually getting? By responding, are we going to make things worse? Then we decide, are we going to respond privately or are we going to respond publicly? If it was somebody else defaming the company, we'd write a letter of demand saying it's defamatory. These are the reasons it's not true. Delete it and send us a private apology. Then we can decide what we want to do with that private apology. Hmm. And most people, because there's just such ignorance around social media, capitulate quite quickly on receipt of that letter because – they don't really realize. And and that letter, as much as I call it a letter of demand, it's something between a letter of demand and a PR statement. You know, It's so that if they do publish the letter, we've responded to the allegations about why they're not true. Gotcha. If the allegations are true, then we've got to try and make it better. And we've got to try always thinking about reputation because reputation is absolutely everything in the digital age. If the social media storm is as a result of an internal person, an internal employee, companies still have to follow – the procedure. You know, you can't just say, oh my gosh, this person's causing us harm, we've got to fire him. Because in South Africa, if you're going to dismiss somebody, then it needs to be substantively fair. It also needs to be procedurally fair. And what we sometimes see happening is corporate South Africa almost being extorted not extorted but but you know held to ransom by the digital vigilante yeah. unless you fire this person yeah. we are going to boycott you but sometimes there's a story you know maybe that person was hacked maybe there's out of context you've got to hear what the other person has to say so i think that's another thing we're learning in these reputation management circles is maybe release a holding statement saying we don't condone this behavior at all we're investigating we we're, will keep you updated and i think playing open cards is very important at that stage And then doing the investigation, and then, of course, if that person has contravened any internal policies or brought the company into disrepute or breached the duty of good faith, they owe the company then to take disciplinary action quickly.
0: So essentially engage. Engage in a very authentic, direct way or – Don't engage at all. (laughs) If you're Barbara Streisand and you realize, okay, this is probably not a smart move or maybe Malusi (laughs) Vigava and you don't want to be seen three million times on Pornhub, then I guess that would be the better option is just let it slide. Yeah. Uh, So as as I say, always remember the
1: practical considerations because. And a healthy dose of common sense. Exactly. And a healthy dose of common sense because the law, as much as there may be legal options, the law is not always the best avenue from a reputation management point of view. I would very, very. Very unusually, advise somebody to sue for defamation. It's expensive. It takes a long time. You ventilate the issues when hopefully everybody's forgotten about them in a couple of years' time. What I do advise often is to go and lay a criminal urea charge if somebody has infringed your dignity. The other thing I often advise clients to do is go and get a protection order under the Protection from Harassment Act. If you're being harassed, stalked, threatened, cyber bullied, you go to the magistrate's court. You speak to the clerk of the court. They give you a form. You... Full in how it is that you're being bullied, cyberbullied, harassed, whatever it is, and where possible attach evidence, which is one of the joys of social media is that often the evidence creates itself. You know, we take screenshots and then you get given this interim protection order. And that largely has the same effect as you rushing off to court and getting a high court interdict at great expense. Basically means if that person so much as sends you an SMS again, they can be arrested. So those are the two sort of very quick and efficient routes that we take from a legal point of view, and then, as I say, sending a letter of demand, which looks more like a pre-hour release.
0: There's a lot of political correctness that's happening at the moment, and some of it's really justified. Others may be a little bit extreme. And I think what's starting to happen and what you're starting to see in certain cases is the prevalence of the mob attacking certain brands for behavior that they've always done, an example would be like the Marks and Spencers case where somebody sent a a photograph of their daughter holding up a GI Joe saying, why must my daughter be forced to go to the boys section to find a toy that she wants to play with, right? Marks and Spencers then, I believe, sent out a full apology after a Twitter mob attacked them and made it into a viral story. And there's two different opinions on that. I mean, there's obviously an opinion of, right, you know, there's actual behavioral change that needs to be taken. And the other opinion is that we're living in this kind of McCarthyism of the digital generation. And, I mean, where does the law stand on that? Where do you stand on that? How responsive must we be to that sort of attack?
1: I think that it's, it can only be decided on an ad hoc case You know, when you are in the midst of it, you actually have to decide in those facts and in those particular circumstances, what are we going to do about this case? And I quite like it when corporates stand up to the mob. Um, sure. and we do get these mob mentalities. And I think that generally a lot of people out there, a lot of customers respect that, but we do live in a world that has gone a little bit politically correct, mad, particularly in South Africa. And I think it's almost the pendulum has to swing. You know, because given the sensitivities of our history, we've it's almost that we've got to be hyper-politically correct, like what happened in Germany after the Second World War and after how they treat Nazism, et cetera. You've got to be hypersensitive so that at some stage in the future, we go back to some kind of normal place. Often when people mess up, they couch it as humor. They say, oh, I was joking. And I think that we've got to just remind people that three things happen when you put content in digital format. You lose context. So you lose often what happened before. You lose tone. And emojis can help with tone. You know, a wink face at the end of a sentence can mean you're joking or sarcastic mm. or whatever. Mm. But it's tricky to get tone. And you lose control over your audience. Because what's funny to you and your mates over a beer on a Saturday night isn't going to be funny to everyone on Monday morning. So I think that as much as the political correctness, you know, is a thing, I think people do really need to be conscious of digital content in a vacuum. Mm. You know, that particular Taken out of tweet context. Just within the four corners of that post and put on a billboard, could this be an issue?
0: An example of that that I recall is the Justine Sacco case, right, which was an awful tweet. And if you looked at it in context, it was very ill-advised. But there is, a, I believe, now a strong case of that entire thread of tweets leading up to and after that particular tweet, which I believe was something like, I'm going to Africa, I hope I don't get AIDS, just kidding, I'm white. And she was seen as a racist. She was, I think, even today, one of the fastest uh, rising tweets that had ever been tweeted. And it went viral across the world. Everybody was looking at that hashtag, has Justine landed yet? And she came to Cape Town surrounded by international media. And um, if you took the full context, there's a strong case for her actually being ironic and sarcastic and, according to certain reports, not being racist.
1: There's no question that she was being ironic. And if you have a look at the uh, – she deleted her whole account very quickly, so we lost a lot of that context. Um, but she was talking about how sort of white Americans who have grown up in a bubble might be thinking – she tweeted, got on an airplane. Again, and on then, a billboard, if yeah, you put
0: it just like that, exactly. it's an awful it's tweet. A, it's
1: an excellent example of out of context. Um, and actually, if you're interested in this at all, I highly recommend a book called So You've Been Publicly Shamed. It's a book by John Ronson, J-O-N Ronson. And the other thing I must say is you must listen to John Ronson's podcast called The Butterfly Effect. It's about what free online pornography is doing to all of us, um, but particularly our children. But the John Ronson book, So You've Been Publicly Shamed, he spends a lot of time with with Justine Sacco, interviewing her about what happened and okay. what happened in the aftermath. But, you know, her company, which was a listed company, their share price plummeted overnight because yeah. of which that a, one Was it a PR company? Tweet. It was a PR company. That's great, yeah. <laughs> which is even more ironic. And it was a, it's just a very fascinating book about how shaming as a judicial punishment was outlawed so long ago because it's too severe. You know, it used to be that you could be in the town square and people could come and shout abuse at you or you'd be shamed, but that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. I mean, they still have the it's death can- penalty can- can- courts, but they I mean, don't was, have this public shame. She was
0: digitally strung up on a tree and hung.
1: You know, I suppose Monica Lewinsky is another example of That's somebody right. who was so dramatically publicly shamed. And that was before social media. She wrote a beautiful Vanity Fair article a couple of years ago about how terrible her life was. And she uh, was the
0: first person really to be cyber bullied, right? She was the first,
1: I think. And then, but it was before social media. There was, there was, just we're just creeping onto the internet then, but not officially social media. And she talks about how much worse it would have been had there been social media. And I think that we have to be very careful of this public shaming. We're also living in a time of um, a huge increase of suicides and mm. self harm, and um, and with the kids, you know, there was this thirteen-year-old kid in Pretoria a couple of weeks ago who'd sent an image, and the image was being circulated on WhatsApp and she was being bullied as a result of this image that she sent. Her mum went on Monday morning to speak to the school about the extent to which she was being bullied, came home, and her 13-year-old daughter had committed suicide. Oh, no. The most horrific case. So, you know, I think that shaming doesn't come without its huge risks. And the only time I, I really say to people that I'm kind of not happy with shaming but can tolerate it from a legal point of view is where the content is very much contained within the four corners of the post. You know, I don't like it if somebody takes a picture of in a vacuum of some random person and says, this person is a pedophile, and then everyone shares it. Mm. But if, for example, the Babes were Dumo and mumpicha domestic violence video, which went viral, there's the evidence. I'm very happy for people to go and call uh, Mompicha a domestic abuser, because The footage was there.
0: You know what I mean? So that's almost like a natural consequence, right? If you put your hand on a stove, you're going to get burnt. And I think that's uh, evidence that that would happen. But I suppose when somebody actually takes your hand, puts it on the stove, that's a little bit different.
1: Exactly. And I think that's a, that's a lovely analogy. So shaming in those instances is kind of okay. But uh, you know, I think that often we just don't hear people out. And it's one of the very basic tenets of law is that people have a right to be heard. You know, you need to give people the opportunity to explain what happened. Mm. And that's often something that we don't allow in the digital age.
0: So I think you very efficiently outlined the dangers of social media. I'm about to go delete every single account that I have for me personally and my businesses. Uh, So thank you for that, Emma.
1: Don't do that.
0: I, I want to, I'm kidding by the way, but I do want to get from you just some last practical tips and advice what would be the most salient advice that you'd give me before i go and Delete everything and say, "Stop, Fred! Don't do that. Yeah. This is what you should well, do."
1: Well, just on that point, you know, I can tell you that I, I'm the bad cop when it comes to social media, but my I have my own good cop story. I would never have <laughs> well, Actually, have... that's
0: a good point. Can you yeah. tell us a good story? Yes. <laughs>
1: well, I can tell you that when I left um, the big law firm that I was working at, the, it was a very unusual thing. You know, people on people the comfort of a big law firm, it's uh, it, it's very unusual that people leave and start their own thing. And I remember the senior partner coming to speak to me and saying, "Emma, we're worried about you. You know, we, you've resigned, and we believe you want to start off." On your own. And how are you going to make money? How are you going to make clients? And I just said in my very sweetest voice, well, if it doesn't work, I'd be very grateful if you take me back. And I thankfully haven't had to make that call because I've been busy every single day for six years. Clearly. I've never spent one cent on advertising. I've never spent a cent on marketing. I've styled myself as the expert of social media law on the continent. And that has solely been through social media. Sure. You know, I always say the best thing about social media is that it gives everyone a voice. <laughs> the worst thing about social media is that it gives everyone a voice, but If used correctly, these platforms are incomparable from a marketing point of view, from a networking point of view, from a professional point of view. I'm really not ever going to be the person that stands up and tells you why you should be on social media. I think that it's so obvious. For me, it's not a question of whether we do social media. It's a question of how well we do it. That's where I am. I think if you use it well, then it's awesome. I think when you use it badly or ignorantly, then it can be hugely problematic. And more and more frequently, I'm talking about the platform's the business of social media, the extent to which we should distrust Facebook (laughs) with our content, Um, you know, I think just on a very basic level, people thinking that these guys are the good guys that they're there to create.
0: Well, you're pl- the product, right?
1: <laughs> when you get something for free, you're the product. And when you get something for free, they owe you nothing. Um, if you don't like what WhatsApp, LinkedIn, Snapchat, Facebook, Twitter is doing with your content, there's no one with a gun to your head saying you have to be on the platform. Yeah. You know, so I think it's a lot about educating ourselves, knowing what it all means, knowing what how public content is, how how permanent content is. And from a rules point of view – I have two that I defer to. The first is what I call the jump in the tummy test. It's a very scientific algorithm.
0: That's a beautifully legal term.
1: (laughs) Isn't it? It's when I write something, maybe a big rant, and I'm just about to press send, post, tweet, share, And then I just about to press tweet or post or send or share, and I get that jump in my tummy that, like, I can't even explain it. It's just like a little clenching in your tongue. And at that point, I close my eyes, and I think, would I put this on a billboard? Because if you wouldn't put it on the billboard, you don't send it. If you've got something controversial to say to somebody, you say it to their face, and you make sure they're not recording. And with the kids as well, you know, even if they've done all these studies that if you're just about to press send on a bullying message or a naked picture, and you just get that one pop-up saying, are you sure? Are you absolutely sure you want to send this? And it's that just checking yourself. So appreciate how dangerous digital content is, how public it is, how permanent it is. Don't touch your phone in the heat of the moment (laughs) when you're angry, when you're drunk, drunk touching your phone. I can give you policies and books and everything, but if you just follow the billboard test um, and the mantra, digital content is dangerous content, I think you're most of the way there.
0: Emma, well done on your success. We're all very proud of you. And uh, and also on your two books, Don't Film Yourself Having Sex and Selfies, Sex and Smartphones, which I imagine are available pretty much everywhere. You can get good books like exclusives and on, on Online.
1: Yep. Um, and the feedback has been great, um, particularly the new book for teenagers. I'm thinking of it as the K53 to owning a smartphone.
0: That's brilliant. <laughs> you know, it kind of <laughs> almost has that K53 vibe about it. The yellow sort of thing is giving me like nightmares. Before you so. were allowed
1: to drive a car, yeah. which is a dangerous thing you yeah. must get a license and before you're allowed to drive a smartphone which is a dangerous thing <laughs> yes. then then you need to read that book and uh, we've Brilliant. had some lovely feedback from it so I'm really thrilled with it
0: well thank you for your time and thank you for your contribution to the Healthy Business Show thank you for having me Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Healthy Business Show. If you love this podcast, do let us know via social media. Tag at discovery underscore SA. Use the hashtag DSY healthy business and please do rate us on your favorite podcast platform. Whether it's Apple, Spotify or wherever you find your shows. You can also find more episodes on the Discovery website at discovery.co.za forward slash corporate forward slash podcasts.